Hacker ESQ podcast, live on location here in Columbus, Ohio, staying in the German village at the German guest house, a great spot where I stayed the last time I was here. And I'm Mickey Turner. You can find me on Twitter at TurnerESQ. I also write for SoccerESQ.com. And I also am a contributor with The Athletic and Sounder at Heart. And I'm out here in Columbus primarily covering the Seattle Sounders as they continue their road trip in from New York, getting in some training on Friday as they take on the Columbus crew. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about Save the Crew. And so I wanted to get the band back together, so to speak. And I was joined by four esteemed guests. They'd probably call it three. Morgan Hughes, who started Save the Crew. David Miller, who was uh, instrumental in the marketing and public relations for the group. Charles Capisano, who is an attorney with the Columbus City Attorney's Office, who was instrumental in the legal fight. And then Darby, token liberal on Twitter, joined us to add a little bit of flavor to the proceedings. And we basically talked Save the Crew from start to finish, the origin of the group, how they galvanized the community, and the legal, political, and public relations fight to save the team. Uh, it's a great conversation and a long one, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome to Columbus. I'm here at the Endeavor Brewing Company with a few esteemed guests. Super excited to have Morgan Hughes here. Say hello, introduce yourself. Oh my God, what a treat. Hello, my name is Morgan Hughes. Uh, I'm really excited to be here on this podcast. I hate podcasts. All soccer <laughs> podcasts are the same, and that is bad. Back to you. Yeah. And Charles, hello. Hello, I'm uh, Charles Camposano. I work for the Columbus City Attorney's Office. And we got David here too. Hi there, this is David. I was part of the Save the Crew movement with Morgan. Awesome. So yeah, so um, I'm obviously out here uh, covering the Sounders in part, but obviously I was out here last September to cover some uh, legal proceedings, and we decided that now that the crew have officially been saved, and it would be a good idea to chat, reminisce, and just talk a little bit about the uh, the saga and uh, how things came to this point, and now that the crew are here to stay for the foreseeable future, just kind of talk about uh, what we see going forward, and maybe talk a little bit about the uh, Crew-Sounders game, which... Uh, should be an interesting one, given the current yeah. status of both teams at this point. It's uh, they're trash. <laughs> it's 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 been a little bit of a rough ride for both teams, unfortunately. But we'll start a little uh, off with the Save the Crew stuff, and going back to the beginning, we'll just kind of go back through the start and then kind of run through uh, the successful uh, saving of the team. Um, and I guess I'll start with Morgan because you are. Would you? The de facto leader of the Save the Crew movement, though you obviously had a little bit of help with. Uh, not very you, much. Not yeah. very much. <laughs> oh we prefer the term spokesmodel. Spokesmodel, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this obviously, uh, uh, the announcement came in that Anthony Precourt was going to try to move the team back uh, in October 2017. Yeah. With a uh, with a Grant Wall actually breaking the story, which uh, was interesting. Yeah. And so I just wanted to. Get a little bit of a, you know, kind of a TikTok on what you thought about when this obviously came down initially, and then I obviously want to talk a lot about how you guys mobilized to 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 save the team. So I guess you know, first reaction when you when you heard this news, I can probably guess, but yeah, uh, it didn't feel like real life, man. It it felt like uh, it. I, I liken it to when uh, when Trump was officially elected, like. I just, at that moment in time, I felt like I was probably dreaming that this was probably a nightmare and that it's, it, it could, this can't possibly be real. It just, it was kind of a thing where you separate your living from your existing in your head. And uh, it was, it was really bad. It felt bad. And I kept sitting there refreshing Twitter and, and, and hoping and, and thinking that, that at some point I'll see something that isn't what I'm experiencing. Like, they'll say, oh, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> well, the thing was that there was not really any initial inkling that this was coming down. In hindsight, it's pretty clear that there was some move or some strategy on the part of Precourt Sports Ventures to, to move the team, especially as we later learned about the quote-unquote Austin Clause, which we'll certainly talk about uh, later on. But it... it it wasn't something that anybody was on anybody's radar, even though the breadcrumbs were probably there for what two or three years prior yeah. to the announcement. Yeah. And just just go, going back, 
what was what was your first kind of cause? You know, your first point of action to try to get move, things moving. Oh, uh, I mean, for me personally, it was it was uh, it was 18 hours, almost to a minute after the Grant Wall tweet. I was walking my dog. And these guys have heard this answer so many times. I'm so sorry I have to go through it again. But, uh, I was walking my dog. It was there's a park out back of my, uh, at my apartment at the time. I was walking my dog, and I got a text message from a guy named uh, Chris Doran, who is now the radio play-by-play -play guy for the crew. At the time, he was the television color analyst for the crew, and um, and he said, "I'm so mad. I'm pissed off for you guys. This sucks. I, like you know everything." hurts, I don't know what to do. And I just remember thinking like, uh, well, if somebody like Chris Doran isn't gonna get it done, I just assumed that there would be powerful people fighting back. And, and when Chris was like, um, Chris is in the Indiana Soccer Hall of Fame. He has his own like academy. Like he's, he's been doing this since like 1978. He's an old man. Uh, but I remember thinking like, if Chris isn't gonna get it done, it's gonna have to be us. And you know, I guess I'll be the first one to stand up and go like, we're gonna fight this, let's go. And it, it didn't take long until I started telling everyone that it wasn't over, that everyone was like, yeah, all right, okay, here we go, let's do it. And how did you guys organize the movement, per se? Like, what was your, your, your first step after, after that point? Because David, obviously you did a lot of work as well. So what was kind of your, your, your first uh, move? Well, so I came in like a month after it had started. Um, I kind of, I was getting, when the announcement happened uh, that evening, I saw the tweet and I was pretty pissed off. And I saw it more as a, I don't want to let this asshole, asshole rip out part of my community thing uh, than like a first and foremost protect a soccer team thing. Uh, because I saw it, I saw this as a jewel of Columbus. Uh, I'd only attended like a handful of crew games up until that point. And um, I really just wanted to fight this uh, just to take down the guy trying to ruin my community. And so I reached I reached out to what was the team at SaveTheCrew.com email address. So I sent an email to blind email to Darby and I said, you know, I work professionally in political communications and I, you know, have a skill set that I would like to lend to help out. I just want to do what I can to protect Columbus. And so I came to a watch party here at Endeavor and I met with uh, Darby and John and Mark uh, who were already involved at this point. And at, at that point, they had just started having weekly meetings, leadership meetings. And I just kind of had a quick conversation slash interview with them. And, and they were like, okay, yeah, we need your help. Um, and I remember, I remember David, like when we, you know, the way it kind of worked is, uh, you know, when somebody was like, hey, I have a skill to offer, we would kind of internalize it and talk about it. I remember when they were like, hey, this guy that does PR for a living wants to come and like handle the inbound stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I vote yes, I vote yes, I vote immediately. I vote immediately, yes, get this guy in here. And I think that what you're alluding to is the most important thing of Save the Crew, because someday someone's gonna try to rip a thing out of community again, and they're gonna look to our story and go, how'd you guys do it? The important thing is, is people in your life, in your community, in your circle, all have unique skills. They have a skill set that, that, they, that they usually translate into a, a profession, or their profession creates their skill set. Whatever it is, use that to save the whatever. So when people in the early days, weeks, months of Save the Crew are like, how can I help save the crew? I never, I never once said, do this. I always asked, like, what are you good at? Whatever you're good at, figure out a way to translate that. Yeah, we were very lucky to have, anytime we had a need, there was someone like right after that who was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. And they just came out of the woodwork. And it was, like we didn't advertise really for a specific help with something. It's just people showed up at the right time, which I think is very fortuitous to how this thing wrapped up. Yeah, did you guys, and so you put together SaveTheCrew.com and you formed, did you form an LLC or some type of nonprofit to, to kind of handle the hub where you know you could put out communication communiques, uh, you know provide information for people from where to go because obviously the website was very helpful uh, in disseminating information. But uh, you know you, you kind of set up a business. You kind of set up a business essentially to yeah. to, to work uh, to work this. I mean, my my initial thing was start the. Uh, 
start the Twitter account, get the Twitter account going uh, to disseminate whatever we wanted to the you know the masses. Uh, Tom, a guy named Tom Davis bought SaveTheCrew.com. Tom for president. Tom, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> uh, he bought the web domain the night where we were all at the bar, and I walked around and people went, oh, we're going to fight this. Um, so he bought it when he you know, saw my tweet or whatever, and, and then the next day he's like, well, should we do something with this uh, website I bought? Like, yeah, okay, all right. That's how SaveTheCrew.com started. What, what Did you know Tom before that? No, no, never. I'd never know. I, he tried to message me, but my, I don't, I don't open my DMs because I don't want Eduardo Sosa up in there. Yeah, no one wants that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so like T Bone, he his DMs were open, and he like messaged me. He's like, hey, I got this kid emailing me or DMing me, going like, I bought SaveTheCrew.com. You should follow him or something, so he could message you. That's how I got in contact with Tom. That was like the first day. That was like hours after. So yeah, we did that. Um, we started the Slack channel is really where what Save the Crew is. Uh, it it's where everything happens, where everything went down. When people say like Save the Crew, I think of Slack. Like I think of the the app. Dave's real, literally on it right now, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, it was that. That's that's kind of how we organized. Yeah. And so once you guys are mobilized, and we're still in the early days of this, and then. There's the infamous meeting in New York, uh, and uh, Charles, you could probably speak to this a little bit, not in detail, but you had the, the mayor and who else went out to, to meet with Garber, um, the mayor and, was it Fisher? It was Fisher. Yeah. Alex Fisher. It was Fisher. Yeah. And so they go out there and it doesn't go well. It does, it, not, go it right. does not go well at all. They come back and basically say, this, we're going to have to fight because there's not an agreement to be had there. Um, I, I'm not familiar with the specifics of the meeting. Charles, you can't probably speak to the details, but just kind of, where, that's kind of where you guys started to come in, at least, uh, when they come back from that and it, it's not looking like there is a, a, a way to kind of keep the team there, at least after what they had to say. So I think, I think there was actually a lull there, because, well, yeah. one, I wasn't even working for the city at that point. Oh, okay. I started working for the city January 8th, 2018. Okay. So I was just a fan and watching and like watching on Twitter and there's pictures of me and my wife at one of the playoff games holding a Save the Crew sign and a Save the Crew scarf. And my understanding is that like, so that even, that November meeting even predates the... Yeah, so we're a month out after the announcement basically. Yeah, but it predates the Ohio Attorney General's letter to yeah. them bringing up the Modell law. Yeah. So at this point, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the kind of like, the zeitgeist was around it from the city's perspective because it was kind of like we this is all up in the air so there's meetings happening did the meeting go well did it not so i don't even come into that when i come in in january we're just like hey the attorney general has called us about this letter the model law you know what do we think and uh, who said that letter i'm uh do you, was it, it was from the ag's office yeah DeWine. okay okay Mike DeWine, when he was DeWine. attorney general yeah. he's governor so it was he he sent that letter in December. Yeah. So yeah. I know the mayor and Fisher went out for that meeting. You know, there's been plenty of reporting that like it didn't go well. I just I remember seeing that press release and I was like, oh, yeah, oof. Oh, yeah, shit. Was press release. that was wow. Yeah. There was yeah. some fire. There was some. They were not pleased. No. Yeah. There were four people in that meeting and all of them hated each other. Real <laughs> it was it, it was just including probably three four. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was, the thing I always remember from that meeting is, uh, well, first of all, when it didn't go well, I just remember tweeting, like, guys, this was never going to go well. Yeah, like, I remember that tweet. MLS and, and Precord, like, wanted to take this thing from our city, and the city didn't want it to happen. This first meeting was never going to go well. If you expected there to be a resolution, you weren't paying attention. It's not, this was always going to go poorly, but I remember uh, it, pre, so the, the thing about that meeting was, at that meeting, Garber and Precourt uh, offered to let Columbus get in on expansion. Give us $5 million and you could throw your hat in the ring. And Alex Fisher told them, we already have a team. And if I wanted to get in an expansion, I wouldn't have to sit in a room with you. And he pointed at Anthony Precourt. <laughs> that's, the, that's the story I remember hearing after that. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was reported somewhere. Yeah. I'm not breaking anything right now, am I? I don't think so. Well, yeah, it's okay. after the fact. We yeah. have the teams that are here. Yeah. So. Alex has yeah. said that on the record. Yeah. 
I worry. I worry sometimes when I open my mouth. Uh, Me too. That's what I remember about that meeting. But it was always going to go poorly. Yeah, because they obviously, again, as we all know now, had designs on Austin from many years ago. Uh, when the purchase was made. Yeah, when the purchase was made. And, you know, the Austin Clause that no one will probably ever see a copy of, assuming it actually exists. I'm still... Uh, Got my tinfoil hat on on that particular. Yeah, I've never seen it either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's around December, and as Charles said, there was kind of a lull between the announcement and then the meeting, and then the letter comes in in December uh, from the AG's office, basically saying the uh, this law is in place, which says that you can't move the team without X, Y, and Z condi uh, conditions. Uh, what your thoughts on the the law itself and? Did you even know about it, uh, and was anybody even thinking about something you, being used to help keep the team here? I don't, I don't think anybody knew about it. Uh, mm -hmm. What what people were thinking about, I don't know. Uh, when we came in, so I started the same day the new city attorney did. I started the, we started the exact same day. Our first Zach Klein, is. yeah, Zach Klein, uh, the Columbus city attorney. Our our first senior staff meeting. I, I have the date somewhere in my email a week or two into his tenure. It got brought up that the AG's office had called us about, hey, did you see this letter? And obviously I had seen the letter, and it was one of those, like, you know, theoretically, that wow, that's, hmm, I wonder about this law. But I dug into it a ton, and basically we, we knew right away that the AG's office was calling us and thought this might be a viable lawsuit to bring. Um, other paths, I mean, I... I can tell you, as part of researching the letter, I've looked at everything from like eminent domain to whatever. You know, there Oakland tried that with the Raiders. Yeah, I did, think didn't work. We looked. I looked a bunch at the St. Louis lawsuit that was pending at the time against the Rams. Like, I just started digging into anything and everything we could think of. But we all kind of were like of the mind that the main vehicle was probably going to be the Modell law, but how that's going to come out and there's there's no there's no comparable law anywhere and there was no case law on that law so it's kind of like you know we were like oh it's a, probably a coin flip if we get into court but what this is going to do to save the team i mean we knew we were going to need probably more than just that law sitting there and one of the things obviously going forward and just skipping ahead now that there is a deal in place, and we're recording this uh, a few days after the city council has uh, ratified the uh, MOU and turned it into the community development agreement, is that the right yeah. economic yeah. Development, yeah. Agreement, yeah. development agreement? Yeah, so you know, there's a deal in place now, and now there's some other paperwork that's got to get filed. But as a part of that, there's, there's relocation language that will be in this whole thing, and that's one of the ways that you know, cities are using to make sure that teams don't up and leave. Um, but at the time, that just wasn't a buy. That wasn't something that people, I think, could uh, consider really as you cannot move here or you cannot move from here after until you know the lease is up or what have you. But um, so, what what was your thinking when you take a look at the uh, at the Model Law and you decide that this is something that you can use? What was your level of confidence that this was a an avenue you could use to help facilitate keep the team keeping the team? You said it was kind of a coin flip. I, I thought we at least early on had a 50-50 chance of whether we could win on the law, whether it was going to help. I was almost I was fairly certain because I knew because there was no case law, this wasn't going to go away quickly. Yeah. Right? It was one of those. That. Yeah, and I'm a PR perspective. You know, the, having a lawsuit ongoing was the best thing we could have asked for because it provided time and it caused delay. And it kept the team from moving immediately. And so and it also gave us the time to make enough noise and make enough ruckus so that it would be unpalatable for the league to end up moving the team in the first place. So as soon as that lawsuit was announced, I, I my confidence that this would get done and the team would stay shot through the roof because as a PR professional, I knew I could cause some problems for the league. And so the lawsuit gets filed in April, March, 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 March. 5th, yeah, March. What, uh, just going into kind of what you guys, uh, what was your strategy uh, as far as, you know, when you decided to file and what you decided to do once the lawsuit was filed? Because I remember uh, DeWine had made noises about filing an injunction 
about the same time that the lawsuit was filed, but that didn't end up happening. You didn't end up needing it. Well, the, the lawsuit was styled as an injunction and declaratory relief, but we just never pushed hard on the PI motion because we knew they couldn't. They couldn't <laughs> and, and, and David and Morgan are just like, oh, this is well, uh, you know, our words don't understand. So now, scroll through Twitter yeah, now. We'll take him as an attack. If I have to listen to Morgan say the crew stories for the ninth time, you can listen to the stories. But so we styled it as an injunction, but they were playing that season there, right? So we're not going to yeah. go for a PI motion. And then just to briefly interrupt. So that was the, the question I also want to follow up with is. You didn't. There was no chance that they were going to leave mid-season or anything like that. You knew they were here. We didn't think that was possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a little bit of time. So that that changes the timetable, right? We don't have to have as many of those fights early in the case. We can wait till the motion to dismiss for summary judgment things. But I think I think there was kind of dual goals. Like the state definitely has an interest in vindicating their statute that is constitutional, that is legal. But we all knew also the more time we could buy, the more problems we could cause, the more likely, you know, the Save the Crew guys are going to do their thing and create public pressure, the more likely an investor operator is going to emerge that was viable, that wanted to keep the team here. So as much as, yes, we're trying to litigate this lawsuit and win on the merits, we're also like, hey, the, the longer this takes, it's only good things that happen for the city. And yeah. I mean, as a, as, a, as a layman's, from a layman's perspective, especially once the lawsuit started, it seemed to me that the, that the judge was very much in the corner of we let, let's get this done outside of court, oh, and he's yeah, going yeah. to he's going to do everything he can in his power to make this a, this private matter stay private, you know, like a private business working with a private business, and let's get this sold. And you know, if you push me, I <laughs> this can go for five years, but yeah. we would prefer to not have. It. I was in a I was at IKEA. The day that uh, that he put the whatever the freeze is called, what was the freeze called? The motion to toll. The, the stay and yes. the motion to toll. Yeah, motion yeah. to toll. I got a call from Steve Weiss, and he goes, "It's a Friday," and he goes, "On Monday they're going to announce the motion to toll, and it's like a ninety-day freeze or something like that." And I was like, "Yeah, hot damn! Here we go." I was in the kitchen. I was in the bathroom section of IKEA, and I sat down next to some like staged bathtub. And Pam was like, what are you doing? I'm like, they're delaying the thing for 90 days. We're going to win. We're going to win. Because, like, that would have taken us into August of 2018. And by that point, you need to have your uniforms for next year figured out. You need to have, like, the schedule is done. Most of the front offices in the league that aren't in Columbus, Ohio, slash Austin, Texas, are already selling season tickets for that next season. Like, once... And it was June, and it would have taken us in August. And I was like, "Dude, come on!" Yeah. And we were we were calling people and asking these questions of sources around the country, like asking experts. When when do they usually put out their their schedule? When do they usually start selling tickets? When do, so we would know where we were pushing them, where we were causing kind of I don't want to call it points of pain, but issues that it would be hard to even get the 2019 season down there. So that it was something we were conscious of why we were trying to maneuver is, okay, where, where's, where's your pain points and where can we leverage them? Once that, once that toll came in, it was an impossibility for PSV to have their 2019 season happen in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Or their 2018, what am I thinking of? 2019? No, 2019. Yeah, it would have been this year. Yeah. yeah. In theory. It was an impossibility at that point because there were too many things that needed to happen. And so uh, the lawsuit gets filed, and that's a good segue into where you guys mobilized from there. So what was your kind of... Uh, Strategy at that point once the lawsuit's filed, what what are you looking to do, and what you what do you need? What needs to be done? Uh, obviously, we got we need investors. So, yeah, wh- so where'd you go from there? I mean, the strategy at that point was just to make noise and also encourage the folks in Columbus who had the ability and the means to do something to do something. Um, the whole our whole mission was to get the right people in the right room uh, to make the purchase happen, and so uh, to that point we. I don't know if it, it was around then that we came up with the the season ticket drive. We just oh, yes. we I mean it was just an intent to show that there was a desire to keep the team here and that there are people who are excited about going going to games and, and turning out for this team. And so we we wanted to create a situation where local investors um, knew that the city was passionate about the crew. And actually, uh, on the on the PR perspective, uh, so David, you're a good person to ask about this. So uh, you guys are doing a great job of at that point, you know, make, making noise, uh, providing some pressure, getting people involved. Uh, I, I wonder what you may 
of what MLS and PSV were doing at that point because they are, as I'm following this, they're making their statements, they're filing their motions late in some occasions, and they're, they're obviously pitched as the bad guys here. And so I was just curious they, they what you thought about themselves. this. Yeah. I mean, at every juncture, PSV and their lawyers, or everyone, everyone involved with the entity was you know, tripping over themselves. Um, you know, they turn themselves into the bad guy. What they what did they what they announced during our season our season ticket welcome event? They announced uh, something. It was something our our our, our twenty eighteen kickoff event for the crew. They pre court went on the rare. He was he was on live on television yeah. announcing something down something in Austin. Austin. Ah, something yes, 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 yeah. yes. At every turn, they were just kind of blatantly disrespecting us. Like uh, here's the thing. They had, and this is just my belief, they had one plan. They, they, they had one a one-step plan, and they only had one plan, and that was to, I, I always talk about how it's a, you know when like a receiver catches a ball, and he's going across the middle, and that safety lowers his shoulder. Instead of wrapping the dude up, he tries to like shoulder blow this guy down to the ground. And if you don't tackle him at that point, if that shoulder blow doesn't work, the whole the the whole thing is over. That guy's a touchdown. That's a touchdown. Maureen, this is a soccer podcast. Well, <laughs> I hate soccer. I hate soccer. Yeah. But that, they had they lowered their shoulder on us on October 16th, 17th, 2017, and they had no plan past that no, because they, they thought that we were going to go down, and it made us stronger. Yeah, they thought that we would roll over and just and just right mourn the loss of the team, but yeah. we didn't. They had they had no way to combat anything in Columbus. Well, they took all their front office staff to, down to Austin mm-hmm. in the first place. And like, there was just, there was no kind of effort to change the narrative. And we and we had folks who come out, who came out with research studies that changed the narrative on them, where they said, you know, the business, met, the business metrics weren't good oh, yes. in Columbus. And we had um, Tim Myers and Keith Noss who came out with well-researched um, articles, essentially, that destroyed what their narrative was. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you're right, I think they just had a one, it was a one-trick pony, and they announced that they want to go to Austin, but Austin doesn't even know, know no. about this. They, they're they like, whoa, there's a team that wants to come down they here? They just expected uh, Austin yeah. to roll out the red carpet yeah. for them. Yeah. Well, think about MLS from this, think about MLS's perspective. They are in this era now where all of these cities are Falling all over them, each other, and paying five million dollars and going like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" Please let us in your league. They, they, there's confirmation bias there, where you think every city is like that. So they go down to Austin, and Austin was not like that. It was not like that, dude. We're Austin, Texas. If we wanted pro sports, we would have had pro sports by now. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was absolutely fascinating to see how ambivalent they were, or just kind of like. Okay, well, if you guys give us a great deal, then sure, we'll uh, be happy to have a team down here, but we're not going to, as you say, roll out the red carpet. And I, I'm, I'm interested, I'd be interested to know if I was able to talk to them and get you know some truth serum, what their reaction was to that. Because they, at that point, probably think, oh, this is not going as well as we thought it was going to go. I would imagine the Creek Court would have been shocked. If David Miller weren't here right now, I would tell Please you some stories. <laughs> I would say some stories. You were right to bring him. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere I go, he shows up and he's like, "Don't you screw yeah. this up for us." We're, we're past the fact, and I still yeah. want him to screw yeah. this up. Like the team's saved, and I'm still worried about Morgan Hughes. Yeah. Yes. So, Charles, uh, obviously, we're we're in uh, May now, and there's a bunch of motions flying back and forth. The motion to toll uh, there, I, which I actually have these all memorized because I read them uh, frequently, but. There's the the big motion, I think, on, on May 8th, give or take, where uh, Judge Brown basically says, MLS, you're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, we're, we're setting this case aside for uh, three months. Uh, we're, and there were some other motions that uh, were granted on your behalf. So I was just curious, what, do you, what are you thinking about after all these motions are filed? And you basically went on everything at that point. And I assume at that point you're, 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 you're very optimistic that this is eventually going to come to a good conclusion. I mean, we, we won on the motion until that's the most important. But, yeah. I mean, we lost on all the discovery stuff. He yes. stayed all the yes. discovery, so we weren't going to get to, like, crack their books or anything like that. The Austin Clause, uh, yeah, and, among other things. Look at, yeah, operating agreements with all that. Um, at that point, though, like, for us, 
there's still a legal battle there, but really it was like, okay, are, is somebody going to step up with the money to buy this team? Like we we can we can get you all the time in the world potentially, but if there's not a, a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, we the city and the state weren't going to buy the team. Yes, yeah. We although we had the ability to, yeah. you know, I was quickly told never to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> like, under the Modell law, yeah. the, the city could. I was like, no, nobody's ever going to do that. So it was. Uh, I don't think there's any city that owns a, a high level professional. Yeah, team. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we the for county. a long time Franklin County owned the AAA baseball yeah. team here, so that's yeah. the only reason it comes to mind immediately. And then you're like, no, the city's probably not going to cough up 150 no. million dollars or whatever it is. Um, so it's one of those things like you're happy you won, but you you still have you know there's so much more that needs to be done. The dog get just the car essentially. It's like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. Now? What am I going to do with this now? So that's actually a good point to. So I'm not sure how much you can tell us about the quest to get a, a viable owner in. But just generally, what, what were you guys trying to do to, to, to see who was out there who would be interested in, in buying the team? What was kind of the timeline on on that? I'm not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's something we talked about. Yeah. Oh, I, I, was, say about I'd yeah. love to talk about that, but David Miller, again, has, uh, well, he has a, a knife pointed at me yes, underneath the table. He stabbed my leg. Yeah. There was, uh, I mean, for the city side, like, we had, we had we're just a simple fan group. We're yeah. just a simple lawyer. Yeah. Well, we have partitions in our legal group. Like, you know, we, we don't want to be at investor meetings. We want the investor to materialize and talk to MLS. Yeah. But we were very much separating purchasing the team from the lawsuit because there was going to be things we had to do and say in the lawsuit yeah. that we didn't want to infect how they looked at the potential investor. You, you can't be as mean as you may want to be or need to be in a litigation atmosphere that's as contentious as... This could have been, yeah. and then have this really like business good relationship. Yeah, trying to negotiate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we purposefully didn't want to have anything to do with who was going to be buying the team. We wanted that to all just handle itself through third party negotiations and stay out of our case. So this is a uh, we're in about June, I guess uh, June or July, and there's the kind of a lull I would say uh, between at least overtly like there you know the, there was a toll in place. Uh, the MLS had filed a motion to appeal uh, the uh, the toll. Hey, I guess you can talk briefly about that. They were never uh, going I, to win that. We won. <laughs> yes, yes, the, <laughs> yeah, the city did win that. Uh, MLS was never going to win that, just based on you know my reading of the law and just you know their their briefing wasn't wasn't so hot in, in my opinion. But uh, that's just my opinion. So you've got you know they, they lose on the appeal. So uh, and then the judge tacks on a little additional time uh, for or for the trouble. And so basically, during the summer, it's basically about uh, the negotiation with the investors, which we won't talk about. But uh, so, so over the summer, what are you, what are you guys doing at that point? Uh, you, you've got your toll. Uh, MLS is taking it on the chin, basically, in every uh, legal motion that they filed. Uh, and then we're just kind of moving towards the, the summer. So, so what are you guys doing at that point? I think at this point, Morgan came up with the idea of doing the stadium rendering. Last, you know, yeah. last. Morgan didn't do anything. I remember saying we should invent a stadium. David, please get on it. Yeah. yeah. So we, we came up with the idea to do our own stadium rendering and yeah. and kind of point paint a picture of where we anticipated the stadium would end up. And so we put our our stadium design that we that we designed we had and this is another instance where we had architects who just kind of showed up. Yeah, and they were like, I, I want to ask how, how that how that came about. It, it's again great to have a bunch of people who are willing to help. So, yeah, we had uh, a team of graphic designers and architects who just kind of turned up out of the woodwork, you know, and they, they were already working on something. And they had put like an initial thing on Twitter, and we were like, oh, we we should connect with them. And then, uh, you know, we had multiple meetings where we talked about what we wanted to see in a, in a new crew stadium, and uh, we knew the plot of land that it needed to go on, and that's the plot of land that we'll, the new stadium will end up being on. And so we just kind of designed it with the notion of this being another situation where we make a big splash and really keep the our fight in the forefront of what people were talking about in Columbus. And, you know, we had... That right there. Most importantly, yeah. is the keeping the conversation going. I mean, dude, before we even did the rally, which was less than 
equipment. It was like four days after the announcement. I was about to say that was very, it was yeah. very quick, if I remember. We knew before we even planned our first thing that our biggest our biggest battle was going to be not Anthony Precourt, not Dave Greeley, you know, not Don Garber. It was going to be keeping our thing out there in front of people. I mean, listen, we knew that eventually people were going to, if we did our jobs correctly, people were going to get tired of saving. You know, like there were going to be people that were like, I don't want to hear about Save the Crew anymore. So the, the real story of our success as an organization is that we co consistently, constantly, and at all times, we're thinking and, and strategizing and planning to keep our message out there, to, to keep our group visible, to keep the narrative in our favor, which was the, the side of truth. Uh, the real success of Save the Crew is for a year, we... A year and a half, we were everywhere. everywhere we were yeah. everywhere, yeah. doing everything, and everyone knew about it. There were multiple instances where a reporter in Columbus would send me a text, and they'd be like, uh, what's Save the Crew going on? What have going on today? I want to cover it. And that's, in the world of PR, that's kind yeah. of unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> and so there would be instances it's where really I would, especially in the United States. Yeah. Oh and I would just exactly. create something that, like, on the spot, like, oh, we're, we're going to be doing this, you can talk to this person. And so then that would be a hit on the evening news. And it was, I, didn't, I didn't recruit this reporter to do that. We had just gotten to a point where um, they knew that the clicks were coming on Save the Truth stories, and the newsroom wanted to cover it. And yeah. they would, they would, Actively reach out to me, and I'm like, this is perfect. You, you brought up a good point. Mr. Turner, allow me to, counselor, please, allow me to approach the bench. Uh, <laughs> like, you know what I think about sometimes in Save the Crew is, uh, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, Darby Schnarfitz is here. Oh my God, Darby Schnarfitz. Hello, thank you. Uh, thank you all for joining me. What a <laughs> thank you. Please drop our drinks off and leave. Uh, so I, I think about how, like, MLS, on some level in their PR department, you know, Dan Cordemange or whomever that's always trying to get eyeballs on their stuff like how can we grow the reputation in this league how can we get the BBC to like pay attention to our league and then and then like for a year we the volunteer army known as save the crew just kicked their asses and got the whole world to pay attention about their thing and they're like really and these were yes. like for, this is what it was for all of us this was like essentially don't a give them any ideas <laughs> Well, except for Morgan, who's been unemployed for a little bit. Um, <laughs> retired. Yeah, he's retired. retired. This was a second, like, full-time job, yeah, actually, yeah. unpaid. I would in the evenings we were meeting multiple nights a week. Sometimes we we're spending hours. I was spending hours writing things in the evenings and just kind of doing what I could and my off hours away from work to help do this. And we really stuck it to MLS. You know, the, the full-time PR professionals. We were able to keep our message on the forefront you know during all-star games our hashtag was far more prevalent than their specific hashtag hashtag for the all-star games or for the mls cup um, and it was just uh, due to the efforts of us to get our message out there and also the rest of the american soccer community being behind us and that's uh, that's perfect uh, segue because i what what would you say was your reaction to the groundswell support from other teams because Save the Crew was basically, at least in some form, at pretty much every stadium. I know the Sounders had a, yeah. when the crew were in town, had a Save the Crew hashtag uh, that was prevalent. Yeah. And were, were you surprised at the level of support or, you know, just no. just happy with it? Um, it was, you know, I'm, I'm not sure MLS was, was expecting that. Uh, there are two answers to this question. I'll give you both. Uh, first of all, like... Yes, we were very happy to see the support. It wasn't surprising because we had told everyone that if this can happen to us, it can happen yeah. to you. So to see the league back us was a manifestation of the of what we were putting out into the into the ethos, you know, into the into the void that that was picked up by and rightfully so by every supporter group, every stadium, and that was great. Now, here's the part where my crew fandom kicks in. <laughs> seeing DC, seeing the Screaming Eagles hold up Save the Crew stuff turned my stomach in a way that was very... <laughs> really? Oh well, okay, I think I know where you're going, but keep going. Keep yes. Going. Uh -huh. Like, I do, okay, I don't like other teams. Yes, yes. I don't like them at all. Some teams I dislike very, very much. And when they would have their crew-themed things, the part of Morgan that isn't Save the Crew was like... 
sons of bitches. <laughs> I can't believe you're, you know, like, you're compromising. No, I know, I know exactly. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> taking your, your, your bile and swallowing it down and going, they're standing up for us and that's great and I can't hate them right now. But, but someday, I will hate you again. But also at the same point, I think the support around the league was, um, like, we didn't cultivate a, a ton of that. To be no, honest, and so, so at the, we didn't send those banners out to them. They made those. Yeah, banners, yeah, you know? and, absolutely. And also at the what the 2018 draft, like we didn't. There was a save, resounding save the crew chant that happened before the first pick. I and recall because, that. I recall because that, yes. our dear commissioner did mm -hmm. to say the Los Angeles football craft with the 2008 MLS Super Draft. Yes, yeah, yes. and it was a save the crew chant. We had. We had we no idea. Part, yeah. Yeah, we they had no know. idea this happened. They didn't know it was coming. Yeah. We didn't know it was coming. And I remember that uh, there was some kerfuffle about them potentially trying to silence that, and they decided not to because they realized that well, it they, would, they would did cause first. even more. Yeah, I think you're right. They sent somebody over. It was the Golden, uh, Garden State Ultras from Red Bull. And uh, they sent uh, Mark Abbott went over there, I believe, and said, like, you guys can't chant Save the Crew. And then somebody was like, are you serious? That That's going to explode. terrible idea. That explode. And so he had to go back over and then tell them that they were allowed to chance save the crew. Yeah. It, was it was a smart decision. It was a smart decision on David their part. David did tell you, like, that kind of thing is a, is a PR wet dream. To Not go, smart. Like, you know, yeah. we can highlight that without even trying. Yeah. We won't have to spin any narrative. They literally did it. That was so, it was such a common occurrence during Save the Crew that, like, PSV or MLS would do something where you're just like, oh my god, you guys are so bad at everything. This episode will not be a shining example of their of their PR expertise. I mean, no. yeah, and there were also points yeah. where we were like hoping that they would sue us also. So this hasn't been mentioned yet, but we put the we created a community kit, we created a, a, a jersey that we that we sold. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were there was a, a couple of meetings where we were thinking that the, the league might try and sue us, or the league and Adidas at might try. At any moment. At any moment. Interesting. This is going to happen. And, and then, like, everyone else is worried about it, and I'm just sitting back like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bring it on. And it's, it has been mentioned yet, but we're literally sitting in the room that we had every Save the Crew meeting, every leadership meeting, with the exception of maybe a couple. And I remember you almost sitting in that exact same chair, and I was sitting in that chair, and... We were all like, well, what if they sue us? And you're like, uh, yes. That would be great. Yeah. Can I opt into that, please? <laughs> yeah. you know? Can I ask them to sue yeah. us? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, getting back to the lawsuit briefly, because I wanted to talk about oh, the most. Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry, sorry man. we got a couple of lawyers here. So, uh, But I did want to talk about the motion to dismiss uh, that MLS filed. They, filed a, they originally filed that case back in, uh, I think, April. Uh, to the motion to dismiss? Yeah, the motion yeah. to dismiss. And it got put on hold until September. Uh, and that was when I first came out here to, to cover that. And so I just wanted, you know, the MLS ended up losing the case, but I just wanted to get kind of your thoughts uh, from the city's perspective and, and, the, and the state. Uh, well, what would you make of their, of their argument and uh, how confident were you that you were going to prevail on it? So I think the biggest problem was that they were doing it on a motion to dismiss. So mm -hmm. I, I think I've told these guys, they've actually heard the story that they, they couldn't wait for a motion for summary judgment where they'd get a more favorable legal standard. At a motion to dismiss, we only have to show any set of facts that under that set of facts, this law is constitutional. Well, if you move Moffray Stadium across the street, technically you owed us a letter saying, hey, we're moving this stadium. Well, in that set of facts, there's no interstate commerce involved. There's no anything. Um, they made a lot of arguments about the the statutory language and the construction of it that just like just because it's not subdefined doesn't mean it's void for vagueness that you can't figure out how to give notice or you can't figure out how to yeah. do these things. And I guess we should say that the Model Law there was some some concern that it wasn't you know as defined as it should have been, and there were a lot of things there that you know uh, they wouldn't be able to do it. A court wouldn't be able to interpret one way yeah. or the other. So. Yeah, so isn't yeah. there a thing in the state of Ohio where laws are almost... They're presumed constitutional. Yeah, yeah so that's yes. the other part of the standard that's yeah. working in our favor. We have a presumption of constitutionality. We had a presumption, like, as long as you could show any set of facts yeah. under the constitutional standard that... Are laws basically, written to be vague in that, because of that? Well, you, you no. can't... No. Yeah, the yeah, short answer is no, but you can't account for every particular detail in a law. Uh, 
it's it's just yeah. not possible. But you're also yeah. not required to define every single word in the law yeah. with a sub definition. Just because something needs to be interpreted by a judge does not make it void for vagueness. Yeah, if you, you know, write a law that says assault is illegal, you don't have to define every little single thing that uh, could define what assault is. So obviously, be impossible. So yeah. So because of, because of the standards in play, because of where we were in the case, we, we were pretty confident we weren't going to get bounced on a motion to dismiss. Now, when we get down the road for a motion for summary judgment, who knows at that point, but they would have also need to bring in facts that you know showed that competition was being stifled by this law. All the things that you would need to show that this was encumbering interstate commerce, right? Yeah. And part of our argument, you know, their argument was, in part, that you're giving preference to these in-state bodies. Yeah. And we were saying, you're not getting preference, you're just making sure they get to the table. And that's a big difference. We're not saying you have to sell to the in-state buyer. You're saying the in-state buyer gets to come to the table and make a bid with whatever, you can have whatever out-of-state buyers lined up if you want to, to get competing bids, drive up the price, drive down the price, whatever you want to do. But we get to we get to come in and make a pitch and it has to be done in good faith. And yeah. you have to be reasonable about this stuff. Yeah, and that was a, one of the, the, the main is, or issues was, you know, again, the interpretation of that, you know, good faith isn't in the statute per se. Reasonable is not. Yeah, reasonable is this. And so that's, you know, kind of where MLS hung their hat. Uh, but, but they ended up, the judge ended up, this was in September of 2018, and the judge ended up taking it under advisement and uh, didn't, ended up ruling in the city's favor. But that was three months down the line. So what, what's going on at that point? You've got this three-month break. Obviously, at some point, we get the news that the crews have been saved. So, um, again, I know you can't talk necessarily about the negotiations behind the scenes, but what are you guys doing at that point while, while you're waiting for this decision to come down at some point? Law, Lawsuit-wise, after the announcement in October, I mean, there was some communication with the parties and the judge, and we had conference that these conversations were taking place so everything just kind of spun its wheels but let's put it this way they they weren't forthcoming enough to get the judge to not rule on the motion to dismiss right so as far as information we were getting about where the sale was in the negotiations there was nothing filed because a lot of stuff was filed under seal yeah. there was nothing filed that clearly at least in the judge's mind said hey this case is going away Real soon, so don't worry about it. Because that, I think he kind of said that when he ruled on the motion to dismiss that he's like, hey, you know, I, I can read the newspaper, but I, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to keep progressing down this path of the case until somebody tells me not to. So from our perspective, I mean, obviously there was conversations that had to have so we knew what to chase or not chase or how hard to push, but... Um, we kind of were just spinning our wheels and hoping the deal got done to that point. Yeah, and what, Save the Crew, what what were you guys at that point? Because this is uh, September, the the, uh, the motion is heard. Uh, and then we've got almost about a about month to the day, basically, is when the initial announcement comes in. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Haslam Edwards group coming in. Uh, again, I know you can't necessarily talk about those negotiations, but what, what did you... When did you decide, when did you feel that this thing was, was coming to a close and you thought that you guys had, had accomplished your mission? I don't know what the hell I can say about that. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, the last, the last month or so were an interesting, was some interesting weeks um, for Save the Crew. Uh, I'll say that we had an inkling that something was happening. Um, I mean, we, we knew that there were multiple NDAs going around, um, you know, and we just kind of assumed that it was going to get done. The lawsuit was going all in our favor. Um, the people of, of Columbus were ready for it. We had, what, 14,000 signatures for, for um, the writing was on the writing wall. Writing was on the wall. Mm -hmm. we, like, we I think that's a good way to put it. We were, we were at, like, I mean, personally, I was at, like, 99% confidence that this thing was going to happen. I, I would say four months before that. Um, but, you know, at this point, I was just kind of waiting for the day. And, you know, over the, the final few weeks of the Save the Crew, you know, yes, we were just that. at the point just waiting for it to happen. We were like, Every is it going to happen today? Day. Is it going to happen today? Every meeting, I thought, this is surely our last meeting. Yes. Because, like, you know, the writing was on the wall, man. Like, we all knew it was, like, 
the, the, the lawsuit, the lawyers behind the scenes were killing it. The, we knew that not Charles. Were, not, not Charles. <laughs> I must say that's the nicest thing I've ever said. Not Charles. I said lawyers, not Butler. Not Charles. I said lawyers, not Butler. So they were killing it. Obviously, like MLS didn't want to open their books. They didn't want any of that stuff to happen. And, and there was only one outcome. And we've been saying since day one, like it's never too late to do the right thing. And this was the right thing. This was the smart business move. Saving a community is always a plus. So at some point, it was going to happen. Like David mentioned, we were just sitting there, like just going like, at well, some point, come on, this done yeah, let's go. Let's go. But it was like, for one thing, for me, you started seeing different language coming from the league. Yeah, yes. Where there was, I mean, not quite a, a spin job, but it was getting close, where they were walking back some of the, the harsher language and, like, really doubling down on the, you know, oh, there's, there's definitely a path for there to be a solution in Columbus. And for a long time, we didn't hear that. And you got towards the end, and, and the, the quotes coming out, you're like, oh, that sounds different than it sounded for the past year or so. Can I tell you how difficult it was to hear that language and to know that things were going on? And, and to every day that went by, I was just like, I can't believe it didn't happen today. Yeah. And that was like six months. <laughs> how many times do you tweet big days a day? I was not allowed to tweet big day today after a minute. Like, yeah. There was well, one, we put the hall to it. So there was one day where I had like some sort of meeting, and it was a uh, you know I I don't want to talk about specifics, but it was a big day. It was a big deal. It was a big moment, and I tweeted big day today. I think I remember that. And yeah. and 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 it was a Monday, and we had a save the crew meeting, and like the first point of order was, hey, can you stop tweeting big day today? Can you shut your mouth? I'm like I thought I was helping. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. but eventually. There was a big day. Eventually, there was a big day, and that tweet was okay. Yeah, it was the best day of my life. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that. That's uh, to, you know, October 12th-ish, I think. October 12th. October yeah, 12th. never forget. Yeah, on the button. Uh, we all know the day. Yeah, so, <laughs> I was on my way to work, and I was not wearing crew things. And I think it was a Friday. It was a Friday. It was a Friday. And thank there was a message that came, yeah, thankfully it was a Friday. There was a message that came across the Save the Crew Slack, and it was one member was like, all right, Morgan, take it away. And then Morgan was like, we did it. You Ladies know? and gentlemen, we saved the Columbus crew. And at that point, I you turn on a rope. <laughs> I, I call my boss and I said, I am not coming in today. <laughs> like, they know I've been working on this for the last year and a half. And I drove straight home, put on all the crew stuff I could put on, and then came back this way. Yeah. Um, Morgan, don't you, what was that morning like? Well, okay, so that was a Friday morning. I'd kind of been tipped off on Wednesday night that it was happening. And so, but, but that, that but it, you know, the, my source was like, uh, you can't say anything. I'm like, dude, it's been a year. I could, yep. I could do this standing on my head and holding my breath. Two days, are you kidding me? So Friday morning, my, my wife goes in late to work, and we walked over to a, a place in the short, or in the in Italian village called Fox and Snow, and we had these breakfast sandwiches that were light and fluffy and delightful. <laughs> and I had been on the phone with uh, another member of Save the Crew, and I was like, okay, don't. He was like, all right, well, we got to say, we got to tell everyone on the channel. And I was like, give me an hour, because Pam and I are trying to eat breakfast. And I hung up with him, put the phone down, and he asked me at the whole channel on Save the Crew. He's like, Morgan, do the honors. I was like, I didn't even take one bite. Yeah, there was like 15 responses, like, what? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. what? So I said, ladies and gentlemen, we saved the Columbus crew. Silly Morgan then closes his phone and goes, it's time to enjoy this delicious sandwich. And then it's like, I get tagged like a hundred things like, who's your source? How do you know? No, I, I, was, I called you. Yes. Like, yeah. you, your breakfast, you and, and Ben Holzell were just like, I need to know who your source is. And then I was like, dude, that makes sense. Like, yeah. You probably need like, a, a, like some sort of validation. Yes, right. And that's funny because for me, like I just took you at your word. If, if, right. If Lawyer Boy was willing to, to let you say things, yes. like, it was okay. okay. Yeah. And I just, like, I read that and I started crying. I was like, this is it. This yeah. is over. I didn't need verification. Well, so it was just. I went into PR mode. I was like, we have put out a press release. Yeah. We have to I make phone calls. I need to know all the information so that I can accurately yeah. tell the story. 
And we so, came here. We came to this bar. Yeah. All of us. The city descended upon this bar. I, I, I called I was the owner, watching on on the on the uh, periscope. I called the owner of Endeavor, Scott, and I said, uh, "I can't tell you why, but you probably need to open early, and you probably need to call in all of your bartenders." And it was his 40th birthday. Yeah, that day. And he's like, "Okay." And God bless God bless Endeavor Brewing Company. God bless Scott Talmadge. Like he's like, "Okay, okay, let's go." And so he called everyone in. We all got here, and as the day progressed, I got drunker and drunker, and they were still working and releasing statements. Well, it's, it's, it was just fascinating. I was on the East, uh, West Coast, I should say, in Seattle, and I, I get a, a tip that it's happening uh, probably around you know, 6 o'clock in the morning my time, and I'm you know, not awake at that point, as, as, as you would imagine. And... I start you know, digging around, I was you know, talking to MLS, trying to get some response from them. Uh, they were not very forthcoming. I, I also <laughs> was trying to talk to MLS, yeah. and they were not forthcoming. Yeah, they, I, they I, I did not get a response. Yeah. Yeah. Every I, five minutes, we would get an update going, MLS is going to put the statement yes, out in an hour, yeah. in an hour, in an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a, like three or four hours. I think they ended up putting it out around four five. your time. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty late. Yeah, yeah, there was a point where in, I think, mid, early afternoon, where I just like, called over to the communications office and said, all right, you know, we have a statement ready, and we're right. going to put it out. Like, you need, to, we know this is happening today, yeah. and please help us. And no. Again, yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't want to do that. Uh, it, Another time yeah. that we forced their hand. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, and so that is absolutely true. I, uh, th that I did determine that they did not want to make this announcement, uh, or the announcement, at the time that uh, it ended up happening. But they, you know, I again, wasn't, I wasn't ready hand was forced. specific time either. Yeah. Because um, so a tweet was sent out, and <laughs> everyone here is like cringing. And I was not in the room at the time the tweet was sent, and then I got calls from a couple of people who were not pleased that the tweet went out at that exact time. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was kind of an angry I believe situation. it's pinned to our account at Save the Crew. Save the underscore yeah. the underscore. So, uh, Charles, from the city's perspective, uh, at that point, you guys are. You don't really have a, a, a role per se, but you're still monitoring the case because there is still a lawsuit in effect. There's still a motion to dismiss that hasn't been decided yet. So unhappy yes. right yes. now. <laughs> what was your experience yes. like? I, I had a very different October 12th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yours wasn't filled with joy. Yes. And I, I didn't get here until 6 that day. Which most of the people in this room don't remember because they had been here since eleven. I do not. I remember. I remember talking to you, and I remember right outside this door. I was talking to you, and like, and you were very stern. I had a very day. long day that day because a lot of people were calling me because they knew I knew these guys, yeah. and like, what are they doing? We're not ready to announce. <laughs> Type of conversations yeah. and going. I'm sure if you talk to them. <laughs> Let me tell you about the how ready we were for that day. Like when okay, they weren't ready to announce it, but it was announceable. And yeah. when we got that language to us, I mean, listen, we we had been working day and night for a year. And this is the this is our community. This is our heart and soul. Like this is the this is the badge I've been wearing over my heart for 25 years. When you find out that it's saved and that you and your friends have been working on it for a year and not sleeping, you celebrate. Okay. And if they weren't ready to make that announcement, I'm sorry, but you celebrate. This is our thing. We I mean we had we had a graphic ready for I think a few months. I I had a press release ready that needed filled in from information for. A few months. I didn't. I didn't have a like. I didn't have a sad press release ready because I didn't. We weren't yeah. going to use it. Yeah. I just knew that we weren't going to use right. it. You can only shake a bottle of champagne for so long before it explodes, and we we had been shook for a year, and we were ready to go. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, and maybe it will come out uh, at some point later. Uh, when when they dis when it was clear that they were that the crew the team had been saved because obviously it was well before October twelfth that they had you know. You know, the ownership they made in place. a decision that they were going to move yeah. forward with keeping the team in place. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, again, that maybe that's a story that uh, will be told at another time. So, so we kind of wrapping up. I wanted to talk a little bit about the the new stadium because that's obviously fantastic. The brand, you know, everyone loves stadium porn, and sure it, yes, yes, and it this, the process has been incredibly smooth. 
And so I'll throw it over to uh, Charles, at least on, on that score. Yeah. Are you well done, Charles? Yeah. Especially relative to other stadiums, uh, Cough Miami, uh, Cough Boston. <laughs> and it's the only one that I would compare it to in recent times is probably LAFC, which basically they got theirs approved and built, and it's a fantastic stadium, and they got it done in, you know, like 24 months. So I'm just, you know, how were you guys able to do that on, on such a, a re, you know, relatively smooth timeline? It's, it's been very impressive. I think um, very similar to how Save the Crew kind of wrapped up and all the different groups that were working together on it. I think a similar thing happened with the stadium where it wasn't somebody coming in here and saying, build us a stadium. It wasn't somebody coming in here and saying, hey, we, we need this, this, and this from you. It was more like, okay, how can we make this happen? We understand, you know, these are the economics of it. What can we do? There's things we would do anyway to support a development, so why can't we do those things anyway? But also the, the twist of, hey, what can we do to still keep the first soccer-specific stadium in the country, and what can we, can we create two community assets out of it? And I think that really was, it's a very unique approach, I think, and I think that really helped get the stadium deal down the road was, look, we'll, we'll build the stadium if you guys, we can also put in some money to an area of town that needs it, keep the stadium there, if we can make it a centerpiece of soccer in the city, and all those things, I, I think it just helped it be smoother, where nobody came to the table with ego, right, or with attitude. It was, hey, we've saved the team, we've bought the team, but to, to make it viable for everybody, to make it viable for the team, to make it viable for the city, this is the next logical thing we have to do. And I think once you all come into the room with that idea, and I mean, obviously, it was also the mayor, the county commissioners, all you know, the Haslam Sports Group. They all kind of had that in mind. They all came to the table trying to do what they could to make that happen, and it worked out. So I, once we got to that point, what was that January-ish, where we, they did the MOU? The rest of it was just kind of like, okay, we know where the guardrails are, and let's get the deal done, and let's work through it and make sure we're we're all keeping in mind what our goal is here which is keeping this team here, getting in a, in a nice new stadium. We're going to have two soccer-specific stadiums before NYCFC gets home. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I just I'm think, sure like, uh, Seattle will have one before, <laughs> before that, too. But, it, I mean, it, it's, like, it's, you, you got to hear all this, you know, during this kind of post-Save the Crew tour that uh, Morgan and Darby and David have been a part of and Alex Fisher has done and everything, you hear a lot about the Columbus Way and, you know, these public-private partnerships, and this was just another example of that. I think where we really, you know, we really just collaborated on it. it wasn't It was not adversarial working with the Haslam Sports Group. It, it's been the really good guys and women over there that we do a lot of good work with, and it's been pretty easy as far as multi-million-dollar projects go. I think Columbus is a unique place where the public and private sectors work really seamlessly together. And you know, it's a testament to having local ownership that they've yeah. been invested in our community in a way that Anthony Freeport never was. You know, he was never here. He only attended a what was six, yeah, seven, was say seven games, games, right, in Columbus. Like he owned the team for five years and he never showed up and he never was here talking with people. And the deal has been so seamless because the people are here in Ohio. They're, Dr. Edwards has been part of the team for its entire existence. You know, it's something that we just hoped and dreamed for and came true. Yeah, it's been it's been incredible. I, I just I, I follow these uh, these stadium deals and this is again LAFC maybe the top but this Columbus is probably you know, right there with them and it's just uh, you know a, a lot of municipalities could learn from uh, from what you guys did out here because it's been uh, you know yeah, incredible. So well I think that's a good place to end it. I think we've been uh, yammering on here for about an hour so uh, I think I'll uh, close it out here and uh, thank everybody. Uh, where can everyone find you on Twitter? We'll just go around the room. Morgan, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at uh, Token Liberal. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm Morgan underscore Hughes. And uh, I would not follow me. Yeah. Yeah, I would second that. Don't, yeah, follow, yeah. Morgan. Don't follow Morgan. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, my name is Darby. I'm at Token Liberal. I, uh, 
my timeline is currently full of pictures of me dressed as Megan Rapino at the Dude Operate the other day. <laughs> Stop <laughs> celebrating. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so, so arrogant. Arrogant yes. Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, David Miller, um, David Miller 0789 on Twitter. David Miller wasn't available? Uh, shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> uh, what is my Twitter? C underscore Campasano, but don't follow me. Just email me at team at safetycrew.com. <laughs> oh, all right, this has been fantastic. I want to thank uh, the crew for uh, joining me. Uh, we're going to go uh, have some drinks and uh, talk about what is going to be a uh, interesting game. We don't want to. Yeah, it's probably for the best. So I want to thank these guys for joining me and uh, thank you all. And I hope you enjoyed the uh, episode.